All right, last week we started a new series talking about uh, the book of Isaiah. And Chad, I don't, I, my remote here isn't working this week, so I don't think I can change any slides. But if you want to just put up that series slide that says something to the effect of Church on the Move, that would be fantastic. And uh, if you find it, that's cool. If not, well, that is what it is. And so I just really firmly believe that, you know, this is the year, not that we haven't been, don't get me wrong, but uh, this is the year that the Spirit's going to move us, maybe to step out of our comfort zone. And he's going to move us in, in one way or the other. And last week, we talked about Isaiah 1. And we kind of went through this little depressing moment where God looked down at the Israelites, at, the, at uh, his chosen holy people, and he said, look, no matter how hard you pray, no matter how well you do your rituals, every time you raise up your hands to me, they're still covered in the blood of your sins. Uh, you're doing everything right on the outside, but nothing has changed on the inside. And what God is looking for, he's looking for obedience over the offering. Kind of a good follow-up to a, a talk about giving and tithing. God's not looking for you to give money so that he pays, that you can pay for and cover up your sins. God's looking for true followers that are responding to his love with love. He's looking for obedience. And our first step as a church is to move into obedience, to walk into obedience, to do the things we do out of a genuine love for God because he first loved us. And the word movement, I don't know if you've heard this definition. If you hear last week, you watched last week, you would know. But the word movement, somebody say the word move this morning. Move. Someone type it in the comments, the word move. Movement is a group of people working together to advance change and development. Now here's something that I firmly believe exists and will continue to exist and will continue to grow about who we are. At North Shore Church, we're a family. Saved by grace, restored in love, called by God to work together to advance change and develop the kingdom of God. I firmly believe that this year, 2022, we are a church in motion, a church that is on the move. We're called by God, empowered by the Spirit to move. Now, I don't know what comfort zones exist in your life, but from just a pure physical standpoint, this is something I excel at. I'm really good at being comfortable. So this is my, you know, I call it my birthday week because my wife made a fantastic cake and I didn't eat the cake in one day. But almost every day this week I got to have cake. And I don't know about you, but cake is really comfortable when you eat it in the moment. It feels like so yummy. It tastes so good and it fills your belly and you'll just sit on the couch and you go, yes, this is good. That was my week, right? I can be comfortable really easily. It is not hard for me to be comfortable. But what happens when we get comfortable? If I ate cake every day, I would be fatter than I already am. I'd be lazier than I already am. And I wouldn't even be able to go out and cut the grass or shovel the snow because I'd be too overweight to do it. I'd be a little too comfortable. Now, spiritually, I think we can get comfortable too. We can get into the routine and the practices. Now, 
we balance this with, hey, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know it's right, and that's a good thing. That's why we have routines. I don't feel like getting up and going to church today. I don't feel like turning on my phone, my tablet, my smart TV, and watching church online today. I don't feel like engaging with what God is doing today. Yada, 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 fill in the blanks. You know what I'm talking about. But we do it anyway because we know that that's who we are. We have this desire in our life that we want to connect with God, and so we do it even if we don't feel like it. Pastor Gary and Elizabeth and Bill and sometimes Rebecca and sometimes Greg, you know, they're singing songs up there. And, you know, I really don't feel like singing today. I don't feel like lifting my hands today. But you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship anyway because, one, God is worthy of my praise. Two, I know it's the right thing to do. And three, By the time I'm done worshiping and praising, I will be thankful that I chose to raise my hands in worship. I will be thankful that I chose to sing the songs of praise. But the fact is is that we can get a little too comfortable sometimes as churches, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And when we get too comfortable, we stop moving. And the mission that we stand for, the things that we want to see God do, kind of come to a standstill. Start to slow down. We don't show up as often. We don't give as much. Someone isn't reached the same way that they would have been reached. They're not discipled or mentored. And I get it. We go through seasons. We get tired. Well, we need to rest. But sometimes we get a little too comfortable. And let me just tell you, there's lots of reasons right now to get comfortable as church. There's lots of reasons to get comfortable as society. Oh, another lockdown, just going to, you know, hunker down. Now, I think it's perfectly good, and I've done it myself, to slow down. Because it's a lot, right? It weighs heavy on our hearts. It weighs heavy on our minds. It's just something exhausting about talking about it all the time. And so in those seasons, yeah, we need to slow down, but it doesn't mean we stop. It's not an excuse to get comfortable. It's not an excuse to do nothing, and, you know, we had a really good conversation as a pastor's council this past week for our regular monthly meeting. I said, you know, what are the things we're doing well at? And I am so thankful for some of the answers that, that came from our team. And says, you know, considering all that our world has gone through pandemic-wise, ministry has continued. We never stopped. We changed things. We slowed down. We did things differently. But we never stopped. Praise God that North Shore Church is on the move and we never stopped. Praise God that we follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we walk in obedience to God, and we never stop being who God has called us to be. That is a praise report for us, church. Never stop being who God has called us to be. And so I don't know if you've ever, um, if you spend hours on your phone, if you're on TikTok, I don't know if you uh, watch Facebook Reels or Instagram Reels often, but uh, if you do, you probably have spent a ridiculous amount of time going through uh, Reels, watching ridiculous videos of people doing ridiculous things, people teaching you 30-second lessons on how to fix a broken pipe or uh, jumping out of an airplane or getting run over by a car or smashing a car or whatever, fill in some ridiculous dance they've learned, they've taught their, their, anyways, 
It just goes on and on and on and on, the content that you could watch. But as you watch enough reels, as you watch enough TikTok videos, you hear the same clips of songs or phrases over and over and over and over and over again. People taking, it's, it's, the creativity of people is just amazing to me. And I, I thought I was pretty good with technology. And then I see what like some five-year-old can do with a phone. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't do that. Anyways. Uh, there's this one particular phrase that makes me laugh every single time because it applies to my life the most. And so if you've watched enough TikToks, you're going to realize when I say the phrase, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't watch it, you're still going to know what I'm talking about. But there's this one that comes back again and again and again and again. Chad, you can put the next slide that'll say, no one will know. No one's going to know. And then the other guy repeats, they're going to know. No one will know. My cake was awesome, by the way, yes. So, funny story about the cake. Elizabeth goes off to work because, well, that's what she does in the morning. And the kids get up before I do, like most kids, I think, do. I should just get up earlier and beat them and surprise them. I'll sit in the dark in the living room one day, and they're going to come up from bed, and I'll scare them. It'll be great. Anyways, so all of a sudden... One child comes to me and says, Daddy, another one of your children, oh, blessed are you, started eating your cake that Elizabeth had made. And it wasn't iced or anything. And so, uh, of course, the cake, I said to my wife, I said, we have a child that's gluten-free. And I said, I don't want a gluten-free cake. This is my birthday. And so, of course, the child with the gluten allergy ate the gluten cake. And so I come out, and there's a huge hand chunk taken out of the cake <laughs> and crumbs on the floor. And so Elizabeth's like, I can fix that. No one will know. So it's a layered cake. So she just literally cuts the top off the cake, puts the other one on top and ices it. No one will know. The best piece of cake, it had the most icing. <laughs> no one will know. How many of us have ever used that excuse? We've done something we're not supposed to do and we just think to ourselves, no one will know. No one will know. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter who knows or doesn't know. One, you know, and God knows. You can try to hide all you want, but God knows. Now, here's what's amazing about God. I do something wrong, and I know that I shouldn't. And I could say, hey, yeah, no one's going to know. But then when I think about, well, that's not really what God wants for my life. Even though it was good in the moment, it certainly doesn't bring me joy now. And so I come back to God, and he says, and I talk to him, and I say, hey, God, um, this is where I'm at. This is what's happened. And he doesn't return and go, yeah, I know. He wraps his arms around me, and he tells me he loves me. He says, I'm your son. I've forgiven you. Now go, and as you've read in the Word a number of times, I'm sure, the number of people that he has forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. 
you know that there's a better way forward. Just because no one will know doesn't mean it's going to bring you joy in the long run. We're going to jump into Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to cover all the way to chapter 5 this morning. Now, I'm not going to read Isaiah 2 to 5, but if you want some homework this week, I would suggest you go ahead and you read Isaiah 2 to 5. Because there's some incredible things that take place in this book, in this story, that will help us understand how God will know and God will make a way for you. Now, sometimes covering up the things that we do seems like the right thing or the easiest thing to do in the moment. Talk about doing laundry as a chore, for example. Well, it's true. I, lo- I don't mind doing I've been doing laundry since I was like six years old, my own laundry. I, I said to my mother, you can ask her, she'll tell you. I asked her how the washing machine worked so I could do my own laundry. Now, the worst part about laundry, of course, is folding it and putting it away. So what's the easiest thing to do? Don't fold it and don't put it away. (laughs) I heard that, Frank. I won't repeat it, so. But you're not hiding it. It's okay. No one will know, Frank. It's okay. Now, my mom would get after me if I had wrinkled clothes, so she would know. Because mother's... Okay, no one will know, but mothers know, right? Come on. If you're a mom, you know sometimes. But here we go. We have this attitude that the children of God, God's holy people, we went through this history last week, and so, you know, we have the northern kingdom, and they've, they're long gone. They've rebelled, and they're under oppression from foreign nations already. And so we're, we're talking about the kingdom of Judah now, two tribes remaining. Isaiah is their prophet, and in the middle of all of their rituals and all of their practices, they're behaving one way, and on the inside, they're acting another. And so... This is where we kind of get this attitude, no one will know. There's no way God will know because we're doing all the right things he told us to do, right? Well, it doesn't matter if your heart is not in the right spot. We know that in every situation, though, every situation that goes sideways, God always makes a way. Somebody say, but God. Isaiah comes, and he's the mouthpiece of the Lord, and he says some incredible words. And we see in chapter 2, 1 to 5, This is the beautiful thing about Isaiah. He starts in chapter 2, and the first thing he speaks is he calls on God's people to acknowledge the ways of God. Before he ever points a finger, before he ever communicates what God has given him to communicate, he says, let's pause here for a minute, and let's look at all the good and wonderful and perfect things of God. Because I need you to realize something today. Just because you think nobody knows, on the inside, you will see very clearly, it doesn't matter who knows or not, when you look at how good and perfect and mighty and strong and amazing God is, you realize that no matter what you've done, you will not measure up. Oh, man. Well, what's the point then, Pastor Gary? The point is is that even though you don't measure up, here's the punchline today, that God sent somebody to help you who does. His name is Jesus. Amen. End of the message. 2 verse 5. This is the the, the word that he gives to the Israelites. He says, hey, descendants of Jacob, 
Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Someone say, light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Before he tells about all the things that they've done and the punishment that is coming, he gives them the opportunity and he says, hey, lay aside what you've been doing that maybe nobody knows about and walk in the light of the Lord. If you won't get anything out of the message today, hear this. God loves you. He wants what's best for your life. Do not hide from him. Do not hide from him. He can handle your problems. He can handle your sin. He can handle your doubt. Let him be the light in your darkness. Because God is so incredibly in love with you. We sang about it this morning in the song, Reckless Love. There's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up coming after you. He loves you. And while he doesn't like the things that you think nobody knows about, he's got a better way forward for you. He's got a path of light for you. Today in the passages that you will read from Isaiah 2 to chapter 5, we see that Isaiah will give three speeches to three different groups of people. He will then share six woe prophecies or oracles, if you want to call them that. And what I think is amazing, he starts in 2, 1 to 5, talking about the good things of God. He talks about the mountain of the Lord, a safe place, a peaceful place. The mountain of the Lord is a prophecy about God's kingdom to come. He says, look, you are walking through some dark times right now. You have done some evil things, and there's not a lot of hope for you, but the mountain of the Lord is coming a day of the Lord is coming where things will be different. It takes the perfect kingdom, this picture, the same thing that we pray, what Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever darkness we're walking through today, we have hope to believe that God's kingdom is coming and it is here and it is now and it's coming. We can get into that tension later, would you? But let this be the reminder to us that God has a better way in his kingdom than we have in our own kingdoms, our ways. We build God's kingdom, God's way through the power of the Holy Spirit every single time. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. All right, so you open up your Bible and you go to, the, to Isaiah chapter 2, and then you see that he starts to speak. He starts to give three speeches to three different people. And number one, he says... Recognize God's way first. It's the only thing to be lost. It really sucks when you're lost in the dark. I don't know if you've ever had that moment before. It's one thing when you're lost and you're driving and the person in the car tells you that you're lost and you don't believe them or you refuse to admit anything. They don't know. They won't know. They're not going to know. A friend of mine was a pilot. And, uh, you know, one of the guys sitting next to him was uh, a pastor in our fellowship. I won't give any names. I won't throw them under the bus today. I'll do that another day. And they had a group of, um, shall we say, large ministry supporters, aka they had lots of money, really believed in what God was doing in the ministry, and they wanted to see for themselves some of the communities that God was, was blessing through their gift. And so they jump in the airplane, and they take off, and they're flying and flying and flying, and finally the pilot says, you know, by now we should have seen uh, a, a particular lake that is in a particular shape to know where we are. And uh, so they're both looking out the window going like, I don't, I don't see this lake. 
I don't see what you're talking about. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, wait, I didn't take off from Sioux Lookout. I took off from Pickle Lake, and I was thinking I was somewhere completely different. And so, you know, he just does this big course correction. People in the back kind of go, hey, are we, uh, everything okay up there? And, you know, they just said, they're not going to know. So it's, it's okay. It's just some weather we got to go around, right? Just no one will know. It sucks to get lost. It's embarrassing to get lost. You know what's worse? is when you're lost in the dark and you can't see anything. When you're lost in the dark and you can't see your face in your hand in front of your face. And this is exactly the direction God's people are going. They're literally walking into the darkness and they're going to hit a point where they're totally lost and they're not going to know where to turn. They're not going to have the power to fight back when the enemy comes. They're going to be completely lost. And Isaiah says, hey, instead of walking in the light, instead of walking in God's ways, you have let foreign nations influence you and you are now worshiping foreign gods and believing in false religions. You're giving in to the greed and the love of money. Whatever you can do to become wealthy instead of taking care of the poor, that's what you're doing. They have a great pride that has overcome and made them corrupt. And Isaiah says a day of reckoning is coming where God's ways are higher than your ways. Come and walk in the light. Stop running around in the darkness. You've gone too far. You won't know how to get back. The next thing we see is God call out through Isaiah the leadership of Israel, the leadership of Judah. Now, I mentioned, I think, last week that I don't stand up on this stage to condemn you. In fact, the only reason I stand up on this stage is because, well, according to the COVID rules from our health unit, I can take my mask off off, off up here and I can talk to you without it on. But previous to COVID, I'm right there with you because we all stand on the same ground in front of the cross. But here's the thing about leaders. Leaders are hold, held to a higher account. Because they're responsible for the people that are their followers. And in the culture that exists, a lot of the men, or all of the leaders, were men. And so there's this really harsh word that comes against them. And he says to the leaders who were mighty men in the army, who were kings, who were priests... He says, I'm holding you to a higher account because you, you should know better. You are supposed to be the responsible ones. And so here's what I learned when I was reading through this. You know, I, I really hope that we have a good trusting relationship as your pastor and as the congregation today. And I fully expect, and some of you have, I fully expect you to throw something at me when I start to go the wrong way. When I say something that I shouldn't say or I'm misinformed, I really hope that we have the kind of relationship where you can go, hey, hey, pastor, I think you might be wrong. Because sometimes I am. But we have to pay attention to who the voices of influence. We have to pay attention to to those who have influence over us and the voices that speak into our lives. We have to be careful who we follow. Are they leading us closer to Jesus? Are they leading us farther away? Are they helping us walk in the light? Are they helping us walk in the darkness? 
we have to be aware of the leaders that we follow. Because at the end of the day, it is your personal decision whether you are going to walk in the light or not. Now, I would like to think that we're walking in the right direction as a church. Maybe we trip a a few times. But I really pray that we're walking in the right direction together. My question is, who are you following? Isaiah says that all the strong men, all the leaders, all these mighty men, they're going to be wiped away and replaced with boys. Replaced with immaturity. The kings, the priests, they all thought they were indispensable. They all thought that they were irreplaceable. They were full of pride, full of arrogance, full of wealth. Irreplaceable. They were the rock, the foundation that could not be moved. Well, they were wrong. They had a God complex, if you will. But there's only one true God. The stability and the experience of strength that existed in the culture would be wiped away. The leaders would be no more, and the people would be left without leadership, and they would be spun into anarchy. That's essentially what's about to happen. Chaos, confusion. We don't even know which way is up. We don't know which way to turn. We can't even see the light anymore. We have no one to show us the light. Who are you following? Who is influencing you? The judges, the prophets, the elders, the priests, the captains, the ranks, the counselors, magicians, all of them had become corrupt. And so women, you're kind of like, well, that was the men. We're good, right? Well, wrong. The third one, Isaiah's speech that he brings, is a judgment against the women. Now, please don't start throwing stuff at me, ladies. I'm not telling you how to dress that Isaiah does, okay? I'm not telling you how to decorate yourself with piercings and stuff, but Isaiah does, okay? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. When you read it, you might be surprised. But here's, here's the reality. In the judgment that he brings, it's not really about the clothes that they wear. It's not really about the jewelry that they wear and the things that they do. It's the fact that they do those things because they, too, are so far from the light, They too are so lost and confused and wandering away from God that they're behaving and doing things that that do not bring honor and glory to him. They're just as prideful, they're just as full of corruption as the leaders they're following. Their actions speak about their unfaithfulness. In fact, you can read chapter 4 and verse 1, and it gives an indication of just how desperate the families and the women get because they're so far disconnected from God and the hope that they have. You see, the moment that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, Eve was given a promise. She said, out of your seed will come the Messiah whose heel will crush the head of the serpent. That was the promise made to Eve. And so it was every woman's desire that out of their line, out of their womb, they would give birth to a child who would be the promised Messiah and Savior. And all of a sudden, in chapter 4, verse 1, you see that the women are left without husbands, and they're looking for any man to take his name so that they can bear children, and maybe, just maybe, the Messiah can come. We see just how brutal and bad things are about to get. Very little hope at all. 
As a punishment and rather dramatic picture, it's clear that because of their unfaithfulness, their arrogance, their pride, they will be left without husbands, mostly because they either all killed each other, died, or were killed by a foreign power in war. They will be left with very little provision, protection, or relationship to carry on the next generation. One of the most devastating things a family can face. But God. Remember, we come back to the hope. But God. Isaiah 4, 2-6. God is sending hope. God is sending a branch of new life. Someone say new life. His presence will be wonderfully manifested among the people again. And it's so encouraging when you've read through the history of the Bible and the story of the Bible and you read verses 2 to 6 of chapter 4 of Isaiah. You see him talk about the cloud by day that will guide them. You see them talk about the fire in the sky at night that will be their guide in darkness. And it's bringing back to memory when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness and God sent them hope by giving them a sign of someone to follow. He says, look, by day you can follow the cloud and at night you can follow the pillar of fire. And Isaiah is tapping into that imagery and saying, look, God still brings you hope. Even though all of this is about to happen, there is still hope for you. In your darkness, there will be light. Remember the glory of God experienced by your ancestors. That glory of God will come again. Church, I don't know if you know this, but hope is coming. Isaiah continues, of course. Chapter 5, we haven't even got to the bad part. He's just talking about what will happen. Isaiah shares and creates a vision about God's vineyard. And God, he cares for the vines. He's an, he's an amazing gardener. He does everything he's supposed to do. The garden's growing just the way it's supposed to be. But when the grapes come out, they are no good. He says the grapes end up becoming bad grapes. And he says the grapes are supposed to be witnesses of the gardener. He called and cared for them and nurtured them, but the people did not respond. They preferred to be bitter. But here we see again, in that moment, but God. As we read in John, God sends his son Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he is now the vine. We are the branches. And that we can produce good fruit. He redeems us in that moment. You keep reading through chapter 5, you get to the six woe judgments. And here's what they are real quick this morning. Woe to those who oppress others and increase their personal wealth and estate. Woe to those who are drunk and high that they are so drunk and they are so numb that they ignore their spiritual state. Woe to those who test God, who ignore his existence and assume he doesn't want anything to do with their lives. Woe to the morally twisted who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes but can't see past their noses. I kind of think like a teenager that knows best. Woe to those who think, woe to those who take bribes and call the guilty innocent and make the innocent prisoners, who takes away the rights of defenseless people. Here's where we get to this morning. 
out of these six woes, out of these three speeches, out of all the different groups of people, they thought they could get away with their behavior because on the outside, they did every religious practice that they were supposed to do. They said all the things that they were supposed to do. They prayed all the things they were supposed to pray. They gave the right offering and sacrifice. They went to the right festival at the right time. They did all that they could do. And they thought they could get away with their behavior. And God said no. He says, in his anger, God called on another nation to consume them and carry them away. They may have done everything right on the outside, but nothing was right on the inside. And God said, I've called you to be holy people, but you're not living as holy set-apart people. They got carried away. God made a promise to Abraham, to Jacob, to their descendants, that they would be a holy nation, and they're going to get carried away to a place without hope. They forgot about God. They forgot about his ways. But God never forgot about them because God would make a way. Their greatest fears were about to come true. They decided they wanted to live a life of corruption like every other nation, and that's exactly what they got. They wanted to live their lives just like everybody else, and that is exactly what they got. You know, God wants to move us. He wants to move us from darkness to life. He wants to adopt us into his family. He wants to establish his kingdom here through us. A holy kingdom. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of hope. A kingdom of love. And a kingdom of never-ending joy. But we cannot bring God with us if we get carried away in our sin. And so my question that I asked myself this week, my question that I ask you today that we can think about, we can ponder, we can move forward with, what is consuming you? What are you getting carried away in? What are you getting carried away with? What do you keep sweeping under the rug that is putting a block and a wedge between you and God? Because we can't live in the joy of the Lord when we keep pretending like no one's going to know. That God isn't going to see what we do in the dark. What are we getting carried away in? They behaved religiously, but in their hearts they were anything but holy. Judah became on the outside what they were already living like on the inside. They became what they didn't want. Our first step, or maybe it's our second step for this week, kind of the continuation is to move as a church into the light. Our first step is to move into the light. One of my favorite books of the Bible, Ephesians 5.11, says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We're children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. What did he call us to be? He called us to be his witnesses. He said, you are called to be connected to me, to the vine, to produce good fruit. Remain in me and I will remain in you. He knows. Jesus knows how hard it is. He knows how hard it is to follow. He knows what it takes and the commitment that it takes and the sacrifice that it takes. He knows because he was one of us. He walked this earth like you and I. 
And he says, look, I have made a way when there is no way. Moving from darkness to light means recognizing God and his love for us. The first step is to repent to him and bring all that you've done from the dark into the light. Tell God. Say, hey, God, here I am. Here's what's going on. Well, there's my wife I was looking for. (laughs) Trying to give her the nod to come play a song with us, but she's busy. It's all good. I thought she left. But God wants to reshape our hearts this morning. First thing we do is we just tell him about it. Give him what we need. Give him what we've done. The second step for us today is to tell someone else. One, so that you know you're not alone. Two, so we can encourage and help pray for. And the third reason you want to tell someone is simply for accountability. Say, hey, I know that this is a struggle. This is, I know this is what you can get carried away with if you're not careful. So let me walk with you. And let me just tell you, it doesn't have to be the pastor at the front. It doesn't have to be Pastor Katie. But look around the room. Look at the people online. And you can, not that we're putting our dirty laundry out for everyone to see. That's not the point. But we want you to have joy. We want you to be full of grace and love and mercy. We don't want you to walk and pretend and watch your back all the time. We don't want you to have to pretend that you're someone you're not. <laughs> Leland's got the whistle saying the time is up, Dad. He's right. The time is up. Oh, yeah, definitely. I should look at the clock a little more often. But as, as your pastor, we don't want you to have to look over your shoulder. We don't want you to have to keep digging a deeper grave to cover your sins. Because there is a better way forward. It is so much more freeing to not have to look behind you all the time. It is so rewarding to be able to walk with a genuine smile on your face. Say, so I am a son, I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am loved by Him. I am living a life that is full of abundance and joy because I have nothing to hide. I am a sinner saved by grace. We're a family as a church, desperately in need of a Savior, saved by grace. This is one of my favorite words, restored in love. You know, God mentions to Isaiah, oh, by the way, we're going to destroy the nation. But there's hope. I have a plan for restoration. You know, there may be a few things in your life that have to get broken down, that have to get turned upside down. It's going to be messy. It's going to be crazy. It's going to hurt. But at the end of the day, God's going to restore you. God's going to make you whole again. Because his love is too great to watch you suffer in darkness. Called by God, restored in love, to be a light in the darkness.